perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. From chapter 6 of Revelation up to the end of chapter 20, we have had nothing but bad news. Now at last, as we start the second last chapter of the last book of the Bible, we have the good news. The judgments are behind us, the terrible plagues upon the earth are ended, and we begin with a view of heaven coming down to earth, a time when the prayers of God's people for centuries of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven will be answered. Throughout the history of the church, heaven has always been a preoccupation of God's people. The words of the psalmist in Psalm 42 echo what most Christians feel in their hearts. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Throughout the centuries, there is nothing that the world could offer that could satisfy the Christian's desire to see God, to be in God's presence, and to enjoy God forever. But this is not so in today's Western society. We are living in a society focused on instant gratification, material comfort, and endless self-indulgence. The church has become altogether worldly, and nothing describes that more graphically than the lack of interest in heaven. Many Christians are, by and large, more interested in laying up treasures on earth rather than in heaven. They are more concerned with their immediate satisfaction and their own future on earth than they are with heaven. Heaven is not talked about much, because we are not really that interested in it anymore. Chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation contain almost everything that the scriptures say about eternity. Most of the prophetic passages of the Old Testament that picture a time of great blessing on earth refer to the thousand-year reign of our Lord which precedes this last great event. Not much is said in the Old Testament about heaven, but chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation describe heaven in detail. Here is what Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4 says about heaven and eternity. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. These scriptures bring us full circle right back to the beginning of the Bible again. Genesis 1 verses 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That creation is what is called here in Revelation 21 the first heaven and the first earth. They shall pass away, as we are told, but a new heavens and a new earth are coming. 2 Peter 3 verses 10 tells us what happens to the present heavens and earth. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the heavens and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That is the end of the old heavens. But now the new heavens and earth appear where Jesus will continue his reign, 
not only on earth, but throughout the entire universe that God created. There are four statements in this opening passage that tell us the purpose of the new heavens and the new earth. Firstly, verse 1 hints strongly that the new Jerusalem that John is describing will be the capital of the whole new universe. Personally, I think it will be a universe that will be greatly changed. It certainly will not be like the one we know today. This does not necessarily mean that God will destroy the present heavens and earth, but He will certainly change it and cleanse it. Isaiah 65 verses 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. The Greek word for new in Revelation 21 verses 1 is kainos. This word means new and fresh, which implies that this is a changed and refreshed heaven and earth. When we become Christians, we become new creatures in Christ, but we are still the same people, but we are now changed and cleansed. I think that the old heavens and the old earth will also be cleansed by fire. The present universe is governed by natural laws. One of them is the second law of thermodynamics, or the law of decay, which says that this present universe is running down and losing energy. It is growing cold, but in the new heavens and the new earth apparently, that law will be reversed. Instead of running down, the universe begins to gain a unity, a stability, a symmetry and a beauty that the old heavens and earth never had. One aspect of this pictured here in verse 1 is that there will be no more sea. This will be a great loss for those who love the ocean. But one reason we have a salt sea that covers more than 70% of this planet is because it is an antiseptic that cleanses the earth and makes life possible on earth. Had it not been for the ocean and the salt in it particularly, life on this planet would have ceased many centuries ago. The ocean purges. It cleanses and preserves life. The sea is an antiseptic, but now with the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more pollution and no more need for cleansing. Personally, I think there will still be large bodies of fresh water in the new heavens and the new earth. In some commentaries, I found the sea is used to signify the nature of the new heavens and the new earth. The lack of a sea signifies the freedom from conflicts and troubles that divide and disrupt. Symbolically throughout Revelation, the sea was used frequently to signify the restless and fickle Gentile nations of earth from which the beast arose. The second statement in verse 2 that tells us the purpose of the new heavens and the new earth is that the new Jerusalem is described as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This new city is called both a city and a woman, just like the false bride, Mystery Babylon the Great. Babylon was described as both a city, that is Rome, and a woman. We have seen how that one was destroyed for its evil. A bride, as a woman, signifies intimacy. A city signifies community. So here we have a picture of the redeemed of God, each person having been given a glorified body empowered with limitless energy. Jesus said in Matthew 26 verses 41 that, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This will no longer matter. We will be able to accomplish anything with a glorified, fresh and living body. We will live in close intimacy, not only with the Lord Jesus himself, but with each other as well. 
the Apostle John encouraged believers in 1 John 3 verses 2 that, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Today, when we look in the mirror, we see signs of change. We see wrinkles, sagging body parts, and grey hair or loss of hair, but it won't be like that in the new heavens and the new earth. We will have bodies of glory and beauty that will be like Jesus. Some of you might be asking, are these verses literal or are they symbolic? As we have been going through this book, you have come to realize that God uses literal things that remain symbols. The cross that many people hang around their neck or is mounted on a wall behind many pulpits in church is a literal item, but it is also a symbol of the death of Jesus. It is both literal and symbolic at the same time. Throughout the book of Revelation, we find the blending of the literal and the symbolic. So not only will there be a great visible city of incredible brilliance and glory on the earth, but the city is also symbolizing the activities and relationships that are going on within the community of all the redeemed saints. Verse 3 of Revelation 21 reveals the third purpose of the new heavens and the new earth. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This will be the dwelling place of God. This is the place where God lives, in his people. This is when the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is used in Isaiah 7 verses 14, will be fulfilled, and when the new covenant will be fully realized. Jeremiah 24 verses 7 says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Returning to verse 4 of Revelation 21, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Heaven has been described by some as the place of no more. No more death, no more sorrow, no more separation, no more pain, no more tears, and no more evil. Moving on to Revelation 21 verses 5 to 6, our Lord Jesus speaks to the Apostle John and assures him to help him with his doubts. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God encloses all of time with the phrases, the Alpha and the Omega, and the beginning and the end. Everything in between the Alpha and the Omega, everything between the beginning and the end comes from God. These are words of truth that help us to believe. On the cross in John 19 verses 30, Jesus uttered the words, It is finished. Jesus declared there that redemption is complete. And now God declares that the redeemed are safe home in glory. Everything that God wants done is done. Not one thing has been left unfinished. The fourth thing the passage suggests as the purpose of the New Jerusalem is that it will be the home of the redeemed. 
Revelation 21 verses 6 to 7 says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This city will be the home of the redeemed, and the only qualification for it is that we be thirsty. Nothing on our present earth satisfies. That is why wealth, status, pleasures and treasures will never meet that deep thirst of the soul. That is why rich, wealthy and outwardly attractive people all are looking for something more. They are never satisfied. This verse gives a promise to satisfy that thirst. People who want more, who want God, are promised that they shall drink of the water of the spring of life. These people are also called overcomers, who have a heritage. That is all that God has created. The Apostle Peter declares this in 1 Peter 1 verses 4. He speaks of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Everyone who is changed by God's grace are declared to be forever his sons. Of course, that also includes all female believers as well. Revelation 21 verses 8 is a direct contrast to verses 1 to 7. It is a description of those who are not admitted. I want to pause here for a moment. I want you to remind you that throughout this book, God never wants people to be lost to his grace. God is reluctant that anyone should be judged or condemned, but as the scripture points out so clearly, they bring it on themselves. Revelation 21 verses 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This verse contains three attitudes of heart which result in five visible deeds that mark the lost. The three attitudes are the reasons why some will miss this beautiful city. First, the cowards, that is the fearful, those who are afraid to take on the yoke of Christ, who fear to confess Christ, who are unwilling to be unpopular for a little while. They shrug their shoulders and turn away from the offer of life. Secondly, there are the faithless or unbelieving, those who know it is true but don't want it and refuse the evidence and deliberately turn their backs on truth. Thirdly, there are the detestable. The Greek word means to become foul. We do not start out that way, but by feeding our minds with filthy things, foul literature, filthy attitudes and actions, we become foul-minded. If any of these three attitudes are our attitudes, then out of them will naturally flow murders, sexual immorality, occult practices and finally hypocritical living. Jesus warned us of that. Those who profess to be Christians but there is no real change in their lives. None who practice these activities will be allowed in the city of God. I think it is very important to carefully look at our lives at the moment to see if any hint of these three attitudes are present in our lives. How many times have we avoided declaring the truth in the face of opposition? Even with friends and close family, have we rather remained silent so as not to cause friction? Isn't that being a coward? Are we quicker to believe and trust in the words of men and mankind's philosophies rather than believe what the scriptures declare about our state? We would rather believe the lies on Facebook than to listen to God's word. 
isn't that unbelief? Do we fill our thought patterns in lives with that which brings death and corruption? What sort of things clog our spiritual arteries like cholesterol does our physical arteries? What poisons our thoughts? Bottles of poison that are clearly marked are really harmful. However, the poison that really does damage is the subtle, slow, insidious substance. It accumulates bit by bit, molecule by molecule, until it reaches a fatal dose. C.S. Lewis said in his book The Screwtape Letters that murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. All throughout Scripture, these people who live lives characterized by these three attitudes of cowardice, unbelief and vileness are not believers. Jesus declares they are not believers and that they will not enter the kingdom. They will be not permitted in the holy city, the new Jerusalem. At the end of verse 8 it says, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death, of course, is worse than the first death. The first death is a spiritual one. The second one is banishment from God forever. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 58.